0: Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. Amen. Genesis chapter 2 and 1 Peter chapter 3. The title, if I had to title the message this morning, I would call it Family Talk. Family talk. Um, I believe that the family is one of the most important entities in all of God's creation. Amen. Before before God made anything to do with society, He created a family. He created Adam and he created all the animals, well actually he created the animals first and then he created Adam and he gave Adam the job and task of managing and having dominion over the whole creation, right? And in the process, God observing all of this says an important phrase, he said it's not good for man to be alone, Right? Now, I believe that has implications beyond just family, beyond just marriage. I don't think it's good for anybody to be alone. It's not good for you to be isolated, amen? But in this context, of course, God is speaking about marriage, and he creates, he puts, you know the story, he puts Adam into a deep sleep. And as Adam is sleeping, he takes from Adam this rib, and he forms woman out of Adam. And after that happens... Adam wakes up from his sleep, and we're going to read what he says, Genesis chapter 3, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now this is, uh, this point of this verse, and the reason we're reading it is to kind of set up what we want to talk about a little bit in 1 Peter chapter 3 today. So let's make a few comments and a few thoughts about what we just read, okay? God creates Adam and then creates Eve, taking her from him. And Adam's response is, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of me. And then God says this interesting thing. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Isn't it so interesting that God... Mentions that a man will leave his father and mother considering that Adam and Eve didn't have a father or mother? Did you ever think about that? I read this and I was like, Lord, who were you talking to when you said that? Couldn't have been talking to Adam and Eve. It's not like Adam had like, okay, you know, when, when Cain and Abel were born, it's not like they were sitting around the dinner table and Adam said, well, boys, when I was your age and proceeded to lecture them. It's not like Adam and Eve could be like, oh, hey, babe, you remember when we were in high school? Yeah, I've been loving your mom for a long time. I took her to the prom. They didn't have any of that. So why in the world would God make this statement that a man shall leave his father and mother and join to his wife if that was out of context for Adam? Well, obviously, it has to be because he's mentioning it for our benefit, not for theirs, Right? He says that this is the way that life is supposed to happen in the human family. That a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife is how the old King James reads reads it. Cleaves. Leave and cleave is what we used to say when I was a teenager. And the two become one flesh. This is what God has created marriage to look like. I know that I'm kind of out in left field a little bit talking to y'all about marriage this morning, but this is what what the Lord dropped in my heart, okay? So this is where we're going to go today. The two become one flesh. That means that there is a joining of our identities and purposes in this world. That God, when he brings two people together, husband and wife, when he brings them together, his intention for them is to become this beautiful union and this unit through which God can establish his purpose in the earth. When you get, when you get married, if you're saved, and you get married, you you come into this um, this wonderful arrangement whereby God now gets to speak to you about your collective purpose in the body of Christ. You know, my wife, she's in the she's taking her turn in kids this morning so she's downstairs with our kiddos but she she's got just as much skin in the game in hope church as I do and so do my children that's why Claire's wearing her hope grows shirt today her hope grows here shirt today they got just as much skin in the game in the purpose that God has called our family to amen And so there's something powerful that happens when we understand we've been called into God's kingdom to do some amazing and wonderful life-transforming things for our community, for the world beyond our community. God's called us to turn this place upside down. Can you say amen? I mean, the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation. So we've got a mandate to preach Jesus to all of creation. And guess what? We don't have to do that alone. When you you come into a family, when when God establishes you as husband and wife, when he establishes your family, the whole family gets to now partake in the calling and the blessing of reaching the world for Jesus. Amen? So God's idea is that we come together as one. Now, I think I should make a point of clarification here. When a man and woman get married, it's not that they become one spirit, but they become one flesh. And this is how God intended marriage to be, by the way. Can I just take a quick side note to insert that idea for just one quick second that this is what God designed marriage to be, Adam and Eve. There's a culture that seems to have forgotten that that we live in. And here's the reality, you and I can try to change anything we want to, but the way God has ordained things is the way that they actually are, and there's no way that we can adjust that. Amen. So God creates Adam and Eve, and he brings them into this union, and this is what happens. They become one flesh. They don't become one spirit. They don't lose the individuality of their spirit. God still recognizes Adam and still recognizes Eve. God still recognizes Josh and recognizes Brian, right? But they become one flesh, meaning they become joined. And what this means for us is that our individuality as people still gets to exist, but it's forced to take something of a back seat. Now, instead of me praying about what God has called me to do as as a husband and as a father, I get to pray about what God has called us to do. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay, good. Yeah, it wasn't a trick question. I now get to share in the calling and purpose of God on my life and my wife's life. We actually become like business partners in this arrangement that God has called us to do something significant in the body of Christ and now instead of having to do it alone, I have an ally. Amen? I got a partner in crime, as they say. So my individuality as a spirit being still gets to exist, but it's forced to take something of a back seat. Instead of being selfish, I get to share my stuff. Not a lot of amens on that one. (laughs) Amen. I get to share in the anointing that God put on my life. The grace that God has given to me is no longer just for me in mind. I actually get to share it with my whole family. You You can actually lay hands on your children and pray the blessing of God over them, and the anointing that God has put on your life to be a world changer can actually come down and live on them. That same power, that same presence, that same anointing that God has put in your life can actually transfer to your children by you blessing them. Amen. I understand, by the way, that there are single people and people under the age of marrying age in this room. But this stuff is still good for you to learn and know even now. Can you say amen to that? I get to share in the anointing that God has put on my life, and the grace that God gave me is no longer just with me in mind. Now, Brianne's fulfillment becomes my fulfillment. To see joy in her life blesses me and fills my life with joy. Why? Because we're one flesh now. Amen. We're one flesh. Yeah, we're still individuals and God still looks at at us individually, but my individuality sometimes gets to take a back seat when we become one flesh. I get to share in what God's called me to. And when we're one flesh, here's something that happens. What hurts you hurts me. Amen. When we're one flesh, what bothers her bothers me, and what bothers me bothers her. Or that's the way it should be when it's working the way it's supposed to. Amen. Your joy becomes my joy. Your satisfaction becomes my satisfaction. One of the greatest things in this world is getting to discover the things that my wife likes. Sometimes it's stuff that I don't like. And then, guess what happens? My individuality gets to take a back seat. Amen. Because the whole point is that God matures us together as this family unit. I think I've told you this before, but the first word that I ever heard the Lord speak about Hope Church years ago when we still lived in Florida was the word strong families. Strong families. It's the first thing God ever said to me about this church. The second thing he said to me about this church was when I was praying for Boone one day. This is just a little aside, but it'll bless you anyways. Um, I was praying for Boone in my office one day down in Florida, and, um, and the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go there and start a church that's strong in the word and strong in the spirit and break the back of the religious resistance that's kept people out of my presence for years. That was word for word, by the way. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Why, why are we here? We're here to see strong families cultivated and to help see people break through and press through religious bondage that's kept people and held people out of God's presence. Because when you have a strong presence of the Lord in your life, and when you have a strong family, you can do some amazing things for the gospel, amen? You can really change the world. Anyways, let's keep going. God calls us into one flesh, as husband and wife, so that we can cultivate a strong family that becomes a benefit to the kingdom of God and the earth. Now, one more observation before we go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Y'all doing okay this morning? Look what he says here, verse 25. And for the kids in this room, I'm sorry, this sounds gross, but just go with it. (laughs) Verse 25 said, They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not Ashamed. Have you ever heard the phrase, naked and ashamed? Yeah? Before the fall of man, naked and unashamed was the way that it was read. What, why is this significant? Why am I pointing it out to you before we go to 1 Peter 3? It's because that statement, you know, how many of you know the Bible doesn't waste words, nothing's in here by accident? Like, that statement was written on purpose. Here's why I believe that it was written. Because this statement tells me that in marriage, when things are working the way that they're supposed to work, the more transparent we become, the less we have to fear shame. Amen. Let me say it one more time for those in the balcony. This tells me that in marriage, when things are working the way that they're supposed to work, the more transparent we become, the less we have to fear, and the less we have to fear shame. Now, I don't know about you... But in my marriage, personally, I I only can speak for my marriage, we've never made any mistakes, ever, for any reason. That was a joke. Thank you for laughing. That was a joke. No, I know that in my marriage, there have been times where to be exposed makes me afraid because I feel like I don't want Brianne to know this about me. Help a brother out. Don't make me feel alone up here. Amen. I know this has happened to y'all at some point, right? There are times where in your marriage you go, gosh, can I be honest? Can I, be, can I get real with my spouse about this, about that, about the other? And the reality is that when we become one flesh, we, man, we get to the point where shame just doesn't have any place in that union and in that mixture anymore. And I'm not supposed to be afraid to be transparent and vulnerable with my wife. And she's not supposed to be afraid to be transparent and vulnerable with me because if it's working the way that it's supposed to, we should be naked and unashamed. She should be able to see everything there is to see about me and my life, not just physical, but everything, right? She should be able to have access to my heart as a man and me not be afraid of that. And I should be able to have access to her heart as a woman and she not be afraid of that. No skeletons in the closet got nothing to hide. Amen? Marriage that is not transparent, if you're taking notes, this is a good one. It's a little heavy, but I want you to write it down. Marriage that is not transparent is a marriage that is doomed to face significant obstacles. Significant obstacles. This is not to say that you have to be perfect. It's not to say that you have to just run home and tell every bad thing you ever did and every bad thought you ever had. It's not an invitation into that. However, it's an invitation for us to get to the place with our spouse, with our husband, with our wife, where we say, you know what? We're called with a great calling by God. God has given us a grace that that doesn't just apply to us but applies to our whole family and we've got something significant to do in the kingdom of God and so if we're gonna get that done, I can't hide anything from you. Amen? Come on, say amen. That's actually good preaching. Yeah, okay, good. Just making sure you're still awake. Marriage that is not transparent becomes a marriage that's doomed to face significant obstacles. So how do we build a better marriage how do we build a better family I understand this is a question that's larger than just one single sermon but we can at least start the conversation here turn with me to first Peter if you would I'm trying to follow my watch this morning because my little app that tells me my countdown clock's not working for some reason so if I preach for two hours it's your fault 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read the first seven verses, which I know feels like a lot, but we'll actually go through it, and it'll be good. This is the passage I was reading yesterday morning, and the Lord just started to really speak to me out of it, and I thought, okay, there's there's some families that need to hear this. Verse 1, let's just read all the way down through and then we'll make our comments. Verse 1, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands. Likewise, y'all husbands thought you were going to get out of it. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Very interesting. We're going to come back to that at the very end. Let me just go ahead and say something real quick at the beginning. This is one of those passages that a lot of people wish they could just erase out of their Bible. Right? How many of you have ever encountered an uncomfortable passage? Yeah, I have. But how many of you know if you'll lean into the discomfort, you'll learn what God wants you to learn from whatever passage it is that you're reading. And it'll actually be for your benefit and for your health and for your joy. There are principles in the word that if we lean into them, we'll discover why it was that God wanted us to understand those things. So let's go down through this passage, and and we'll have a good time with it. Okay. By the way, how many people in here, just by show of hands, are married? I want to make sure I'm working. Okay, because this is a good crowd. Okay, good. Praise the Lord. So verse one, likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now, the first four words are problematic for a lot of people. Wives, likewise, be submissive. Oh my God, Where here he goes. He's one of those kind of preachers. Right? There. This, this idea just from the get-go, creates some discomfort with folks. But I want to hopefully bring some clarity to the subject this morning. And I would just start by asking the question, what does it mean to be submissive? Does it mean that your voice is silenced, ladies? Does it mean that you become devalued? No. Does it mean that you become an object in the marriage? Submission just simply means this. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. If you're not taking notes, you may want to write this down. Submission means this. Just let your husband lead. Just let him lead. Let him lead. The purpose and goal of submission in a marriage is not to suppress one individual and elevate another individual. God doesn't want women to, to, wives to submit to their husbands because he wants some domineering, big-headed moron trying to run the household and this, other, and this lady in the marriage is being suppressed and being pushed down and treated like a second-rate citizen. That's not the goal of submission. I know that's how people have taught it before. Maybe that's how we've seen it demonstrated before, but that's not God's original intention. Do you want to know what God's original intention is for your husband, ladies? Just let him lead. Just let him lead. Because a man who is under the influence of the Holy Spirit is designed by God to lead something. He's designed and created by God to get a vision for something and begin to lead in the direction of the thing that he has a vision for. And the best thing that he could ever possibly want to have as he is leading his family in the direction that God's called them is somebody behind him supporting him. Amen. Ladies, I'm here to tell you that if your husband knows that you believe in him, he will become the most empowered human being on the planet and he will bust through all kinds of obstacles, and he will jump over all kinds of walls, and he will take you to the place that God has for you as a family. Amen. Y'all fellas are not very vocal in this. This is kind of a good news, right? This is I'm trying to hype you up because y'all are going to get the boom drop down you here in just a minute. Okay? Amen. It, it's it's not all, like like we've been culturally taught to fear this word submission. But the reality is that I've, that I've learned in my own life is like there's absolutely nothing to fear about being submitted. I am submitted as a man. I've got you know you've heard me talk about my pastor. You've heard me talk about our our, our board of advisors over the church. Where I'm I'm not just out here as a pastor running around willy nilly unsubmitted to anybody. And the reason is because there's safety and there's protection in being in the order that God has created for us to live in. Amen. So, wives, when your husband is endeavoring to lead, here's what I want you to do just let him lead. Even if you disagree with the direction he's leading in, even when he's about to make a mistake, let him lead. Why? Why should you let him lead even when he's about to make a mistake? You wanna know why? Because he needs to make that mistake so that he can learn how to not make another one. It's real quiet this morning. (laughs) Let me tell you, let me give it to you in, in an example form, okay? Some years ago, many years ago, I had a good friend of mine come to me well, he was a good friend of mine. He was in my wedding, actually. But he came, and he came to me with a great investment opportunity. Great investment opportunity. Okay? And, and I don't know if you guys can relate to this, if you husbands can relate to this, but I started getting the dollar signs in my eyes. It was one of those, you know, Brian and I were pretty young back then. We're still pretty young, but we were younger back then. And, and I was like, this is it. This is the breakthrough we've been waiting for. This is it. This is the thing. We're going to double our money in two weeks, and we're going to triple it in two months. Then we're going to quadruple it in three months. And I'm going, man, if all these numbers check out, I need to start Mercedes shopping. So I would sit in bed on my phone after my wife went to sleep and just browsing through E-Class Mercedes. Yep, that's the one I'm going to get. Y'all ever spent money you hadn't, didn't make yet? I've done it. And one night, we were laying in bed, and my wife was like, I don't think this is the right move. And I was like, you're wrong. Yes, it is. You're wrong. And she didn't fight me on it. And I was really impressed that she didn't fight me on it. And so I sent off $7,500, which was a big pile of money for us back then. And I sent that off, and... Never saw, I mean, I should have just kissed the envelope and waved goodbye to it, because it was just gone, and we never got an ounce of it back. And later I found out that my friend had actually used some of that money as a down payment on a Porsche that he was trying to lease. So we got hurt financially. Now, there's a cool ending to that story, and that is that the following year I was working in a sales position, and I was able, by, by the grace of God, the Lord redeemed the whole situation for us and I was able to make twice what we lost in a single transaction. I was like, praise God. So God's faithful that even when you stumble, he'll, he'll help you and He'll by his mercy and his grace, he'll come and scoop you up out of the mess that you made and say, no, let's do it a little bit better this time, baby. And so the Holy Spirit came and got me out and patted me on the head and said, let's do, it a, little next time, do a little better next time, baby. But here's the point. One of the things I learned about how great my wife is is that she let me screw that whole thing up, because she just let me lead. And guys, I'm here to tell you that you you when when you get into a situation, wives like that, where you know your husband's about to make a boneheaded move, sometimes you just need to actually let him make that move. In in, in our profession, you know, I'm a graphic designer Monday through Friday, and in our pose- in our uh, uh, field we, we talk about failing and failing quickly sometimes when you're working on a project you got to fail quickly and so you got to you know before I ever go to the computer I'm going to take and sketch out a bunch of different ideas so that I can cross off all the dumb ideas and get to the good one sometimes men need to be able to fail quickly so that they can learn and mature and grow. You know, I'm not gonna invest a big pile of money in a sketchy investment opportunity anymore. I learned my lesson. I touched the stove, it was hot, I got burned. I won't be touching that stove again. You follow me? Ladies, you know what the last thing your your husband needs when he's trying to lead and he's about to make a boneheaded move? He doesn't need you to mother him. Fellas, give me a better amen than that. (laughs) Amen. He needs to be able to fail and become more sure of himself while the leadership decisions are small. Because here's the thing I've learned and I'm learning in my life. As time goes on and the decisions get bigger, the consequences of the decisions get bigger as well. So that your husband needs to learn to fail quickly and grow from those decisions so that when the decisions carry more consequence later down the road, he'll be able to make the right decision. It's how we learn to lead as men over time and we're absolutely wired by God to do it. So the last thing he needs is another mom. Amen. Amen. Watch what Peter goes on to say. He says that even if some of the husbands don't obey the word of God, that they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Wives, you have no idea how much weight and influence you have in your husband's life. You have no, listen, if my wife, if she really wants me to do something or, or, or lead in a certain direction, and I know that, that she's behind me in that, I will move heaven and earth to make it come to pass because she's got a ton of influence in my life. Ladies, you have no idea how, how boomingly loud your voice is in the heart and mind of your husband. He so desperately wants to know that you're behind him and that where he leads, he can lead with confidence because I'm not just leading me, I'm leading everybody following me. Amen. You see, when he's, when he's thinking about leading, the Bible says in Proverbs that a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. That means that a, that a, a wise man is thinking two and three generations deep. So when I lead my family, I'm not just thinking about me, I'm thinking about my wife. I'm thinking about my children. I'm thinking about their eventual spouses. I'm thinking about their children, my grandchildren. And I'm endeavoring now to make the best moves I can so that my leadership perpetuates God's goodness for three generations, that after I'm gone, my offspring and their offspring will still be saying God is good to the Thurman family. And see, that's what a wise man thinks about. So let him lead, ladies. Just let him lead, even when he screws up Let him lead. He may be won by your conduct. If he knows you believe in him, he feels like the strongest man on the planet. Verse three, Peter goes on to tell us this. Don't spend all of your time investing on the outside, but neglecting the inside. You know, he talks about don't just adorn yourself with gold and pearls and jewelry and nice clothing and all that. By the way, that's a good idea. You should do that. He's just saying, don't only do that. Amen? How I many husbands are glad your wife showers? Glory to God. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Woo. No, we, we love it when you look beautiful. Just don't make beauty on the outside the only investment that you ever make. The Bible says in, in this verse, God deems this precious when you invest in the hidden person of the heart. Look at, the, look at it there in verse 3. He says, don't let your adornment be merely Outward. You see, some folks have taken that and put a real religious spin on it and said, you know, you can't wear makeup to church. I know that's kind of a thing of the past, but it used to be a deal. It used to be a thing. No makeup in church. Men got to sit on this side. Women got to sit on this side. That's so stupid. Amen. Please wear makeup to church. Please. Amen. We're, We're good with it. But don't only make the investment in the things of the exterior. I see so much in our culture that we as a culture have only become exterior focused. Somebody sent me a picture the other day of like four high school girls with selfie sticks, and I was like, oh dear God. What what is our society becoming? That we invest in how we look, you know what I'm saying? Selfie stick, and you're doing all this kind of stuff. That's ridiculous right? It's not that we don't want people to be okay with, you know, dressing themselves up. I love to dress up. I love to look good, but my gosh, not at the expense of my spiritual health, not at the expense of the health of my marriage, not at the expense of my relationship with my wife. Amen. Don't, don't buy in to the self-loving generation that is persisting in the world around us. I think that's what Peter's trying to say here. He goes on to talk about Sarah and Abraham and how Sarah um, submitted to Abraham. And watch what he says here at the very end Whose daughters you are, wives, you're a daughter of Abraham, if you you do good and are not afraid with any terror. What if we were not afraid to let our husbands lead? Not me, You, you follow what I'm saying? What if we were not afraid? To let let our husbands just lead the way God's wired them to lead. Amen? Now, verse 7, he turns a corner. starts to talk to husbands. Okay, so husbands, now it's your turn. Husbands, live with your wives. Dwell likewise with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Now I want to take this just one little phrase at a time and we'll wrap up here in just a few minutes. Y'all still doing okay? All right, good. Husbands, live with your wives with understanding. Let's unpack that for just a second. Husbands, live with your wives with understanding. That means you don't get to use the excuse of not understanding your wife. Now there are jokes after jokes and social Statements about women, and uh, you know, we learn a lot of us learned this from our fathers or from our grandfathers. Well, you know, your your mother, she's just so irrational. Anybody ever heard something like that from their dads before? Oh man, I wish I understood what your mother was thinking. Y'all have heard the joke about the guy who wants to build the bridge to to uh, Hawaii, and he, and God comes to him and he says, "What you know? What do you want?" And He says, "I want you to build me a bridge to Hawaii." And and the Lord says, well, ask something else. That seems seems like too difficult. And the guy thinks for a minute. He's like, okay, I just want to understand what women are thinking. And God says, well, you want that bridge two lane or four lane? You've heard that joke before, haven't you? (laughs) I mean, there's jokes in society about women being hard to understand. There's actually a really good book. Sean and I were talking about it the other day uh, called Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti. And that's because the the general premise is men compartmentalize everything. We got a box in our head for every detail of life. And to our wives, everything like a plate of spaghetti is connected. So you grab a hold of one and it somehow touches every other piece of pasta on that plate. Well, here's the reality, guys. You don't have to understand the pasta to enjoy it. Amen. Glory to God. You don't have to understand how everything touches everything else. Just take a bite, man. Enjoy it. Amen? She loves you. She puts up with your compartmentalization of everything. (laughs) Amen? So it's a really good book, by the way. I don't remember who wrote it, but you can check it out. Men are like waffles. Women are like spaghetti. But here's the reality. Guys, we don't get to hide behind this notion that my wife is some impenetrable fortress of misunderstanding, that I can't somehow figure out what she's thinking and why she's thinking it. And I've heard this perpetuated by men for years, some of them in my own family. Like I said, well, your mother, she just doesn't, I don't understand what she said. Or, oh, your aunt so-and-so, she, I tell you what, she's just irrational. It's like, okay, well, too bad. You know, when you want to ace the test, you study for it. Amen. Amen. When you want to ace the test, you study for it husbands live with your wives with understanding if you don't understand her maybe it's because you haven't tried very hard to learn anything about her again ladies an amen uh, you know just something something to let me know that this is getting through if we don't understand her understand her guys maybe it's because we haven't actually really tried very hard to figure out what it is that she likes and doesn't like Maybe it's because we haven't put in the time to figure out what makes her tick. And it's just so much easier for us guys to throw our hands up and say, well, she's unknowable. I thought she was gonna go left and she went right. I can't figure out why. Well, maybe, maybe it's time for us to do a little homework. Amen? Amen? Part of, this is a good one to write down, part of pursuing your wife is learning her. Men love the pursuit, right? We're made by God to be leaders. We're made by God to be hunters, right? We love the pursuit. That's why we love sports, because there's a winner and a loser. Somebody came out victorious. Somebody worked their butt off and came out victorious. Men love that kind of stuff, right? Most of us, I understand they're outliers, but you know, most of us, this is a general overarching principle. Part of pursuing your wife is educating yourself on her. You want an example? Men will spend thousands and thousands of dollars thousands of hours, all kinds of time and investment to learn about a bull elk and why it does what it does. They will fly to Iowa or fly or Idaho, rather, or Montana. They will go to some mountain range, spend tons of money on a new gun, spend tons of hours and money on getting there and, and getting into a position where they can hunt down an elk. And and boy, by the time they get to that, that stand or that place where they're going to hunt, they know everything about what the elk is going to do oh this study this ridge and go, oh, this elk 's going to come down this ridge at about this time of the day when the air starts moving when it gets warmer it 's going to come down to graze it 's going to go up at the end of the day when it 's looking to hide it 's going to do this it 's going to do that. Oh, listen to this call that it makes this means it 's in distress this means it 's looking for a mate this means it 's hungry. this sound is meaning two of them are fighting this, that, and the other it will stu- a guy will study everything that an elk or a deer or whatever it is that it 's hunting we will study everything there is to know about that animal and we will spend no time studying the, the lady that God gave us as sleeping next to us. It's funny and it's not funny. We will, we will absolutely pour ourselves, I mean, guys do it all the time. I bet if I asked most of the guys in the room or watching online to give me some, some statistics about the players on their favorite team, I mean, you just ask a guy, what do you think about such and such athlete? He'd be able to tell you, I mean, if I said, what do y'all think about LeBron James? Most guys could tell me the school LeBron James went to when he was in middle school. This is the town he was born in. This is the name of his kids. This is, this, you know, this is the team he played for. He played for this many years. He scored this many points, this many rebounds, this many this, this many that. He makes this much amount of money. He's got this endorsement. We know these guys by the back of their hand, and we don't study our wives at all. Ouch. Ouch. Part of pursuing your wife, gentlemen, is learning her. Just like you learn the elk that you want to hunt. Part of pursuing your wife is learning her. What happens in this process as you learn who she is, learn what makes her tick, is that her joy becomes your joy. The things that she loves now hold value in your heart. When my wife and I first got married, or actually before we even got married, when we were dating, I discovered she was a ballerina. And she started dancing when she was about three years old, when she was about Sophia's age. And she danced, and every single year in this company that she dances with, they, they do the Nutcracker. Amen. Some of y'all Studio K people, you know about the Nutcracker. It starts just about the end of October. <laughs> Oh, yeah, these kids know all about it. That's right. It starts just about the end of October, and it goes, and every night of the week, pretty much, we're at the dance studio doing something. Well, you know, I got involved in that. She asked me one year, do you want to be in the Nutcracker? I was like, not really, and she said, well, would you be in the Nutcracker? And I said, okay, and I've, that was 10 years ago, and I've been in every Nutcracker ever since. I'm not a dancer. I don't really care for the Nutcracker. I mean, I enjoy it, but it's not something I would do if my wife and kids were not doing it too. But here's what happens inevitably every year. Tears comes to my eyes when I'm sitting on the side of the stage at the Schaefer Center, off stage. Watching my wife do pirouettes, watching my littlest child do a dance that they practice so hard, watching these two girls do something that they have invested their time and their life into, their joy becomes my joy. I don't care about the Nutcracker apart from those four ladies. But every year it gets me. Every year there's a moment, if not multiple moments, where I sit there and well up with tears and I go, God, you're so good. Look at this family you blessed me with. Look at these people. This is amazing. I got the best seat in the house off to the side in the scrim where you can't see me with my phone, video, and little Sophia. You see, our joy becomes their joy, and their joy becomes our joy. It's part of becoming one flesh, it's part of investing in one another. And here's the reality, guys. We can't do it if we're gonna maintain selfishness. Amen? He goes on to say a lot of things. I've actually run out of time, so we're gonna just wrap up. But he goes on to say that we become heirs together of the grace of life, that God's grace upon our lives is something that we get to experience and enjoy and walk in together. And then he closes with this statement, and this was the thing that nailed me to my seat. He says, husbands, you gotta learn to do these things so that your prayers may not be hindered. And it it hit me like a ton of bricks. Maybe, just maybe, maybe some of the things I'm believing God for, where my prayers seem to be met with resistance, maybe some of those aren't just because I don't have enough faith, Maybe some of those aren't just because I haven't prayed enough or haven't spent enough time in the presence of God. Maybe some of the things I'm believing God for are being tripped up and hindered because I'm not relating to my wife the way that I'm supposed to. Selah. Amen. I remember hearing a story of of the late Dr. Kenneth Hagan, and he was telling a story one time where he said, he said that he had been standing in faith for such a long time about this particular thing, and I don't remember what the thing was, but it was something that he'd been praying and asking God for, and he he'd believed and received things from God enough to know this is how you do it, okay? You, you get the word of God, you find a principle in the word, a promise, and you start to stand on that. You confess it. You believe you receive it. In Jesus' name, we have it, Mark eleven 23. I've preached on that before. Y'all know all about that. But he was in the process of believing God for something and doing this and he just felt like he was getting nowhere. He's like, why do I keep hitting up against this resistance? Why do I keep bumping up against this wall? And the Lord challenged him one day and the Lord said to him, check your love walk. So, you know, the Bible tells us to walk in love. The Bible says in the book of Galatians that faith works by love. So, so the Spirit of God said to him, check your love walk, man. And the Lord showed him that, hey, there's this person over here. You're not walking in forgiveness with them. You're not walking in love with them. And so he said, okay, I'm going to make that adjustment. And he went and he found that person. He made it right. And he started walking in love with that person. He immediately got the thing he was believing God for. Seemed like it was so disconnected but that it was his love that needed to be in place for his faith to work the way that it was supposed to. And I believe when Peter tells us here, men, that our prayers can sometimes get hindered by our inability to walk in understanding and love with our spouse. Maybe you're believing for healing in your body, and the, not, the problem isn't that you don't have enough faith or that you don't know the right scriptures. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you got to sit down with your wife and apologize. quiet I knew this wasn't going to be like a rock'em sock'em shouty kind of message you know I knew this was going to be this was going to come with some bruised toes but maybe that's the thing sometimes that actually is hindering us is that there's a disconnect at home and if we'll get the disconnect figured out and fixed wow all of a sudden all the stuff we're believing God for will start to fall into the places that it's supposed to Here's what I'm learning about the Spirit of God. He loves, Frankie, he loves alignment. God ordains things to be a certain way, and he wants us to follow his pattern and and fall into alignment with what he says is right. It's like when you go to the chiropractor. Anybody ever been to the chiropractor before? I'm done, by the way. You can put your Bibles away and all that stuff. You ever go to the chiropractor before? And what happens, maybe you're having a pain in your leg or you're having a pain in your shoulder. I remember one time I was having a terrible pain in my neck. I had gotten hit really hard in a hockey game. I played hockey in high school, and I'd gotten hit in the boards real hard, and I came home having this wicked pain in my neck, and it lasted for several weeks. And finally, I went to the chiropractor, and he was like, oh, yeah, your hips are out of alignment. And he went, Psharp. and I was like, oh, the pain's gone. That's amazing. Isn't it amazing how sometimes pain in one area can be connected to a lack of alignment in another area? What if we were to get our marriages to the place that God can pour his blessing out on them because we've embraced what the Lord wants to see happening in our marriages? Does that make sense? I believe that God has something so good for our families that if we'll... If we'll hearken unto his voice, and if we'll do what he tells us to do, if we'll live according to the word, we'll actually see some real breakthrough. We'll actually see things really working the way they're supposed to. Amen. Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.